the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com to follow everything we're doing. You can sign up for the daily email there, the daily wink it's called. It comes out every morning, 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time. Goes in your inbox. What does it deliver? What you need to know. What you need to know for that day. A few articles, a few links, and especially... Some uh, some links to this great radio program, and so you can follow along. And this first segment is called What You Need to Know, The Daily Wink. So we'll get right to that in a few moments. We've got some really interesting guests. I think either today or tomorrow we'll talk with Roger Stone. Uh, we'll also talk with Congressman Pete Sessions. And uh, we will visit again with uh, John Schlafly later on in the week. All right. What You Need to Know Today. This is the number one issue It's the number one issue in this country. I've been telling you for a while. There are others that feel more important. And I I believe in terms of sort of almighty God, the abortion murdering that's happening is uh, probably bigger. Um, There are certainly the health freedom assaults and how government is overstepping. Big deal. Um, And also, you know, the inflation, all these different things are big. However, in terms of the great American republic, If we don't figure out how to have our elections work and people believe in it, we will not survive as a republic. And so at this moment, what you're seeing is coverage of of a statement from Donald J. Trump, the former president, from October 13th, just a day or so ago. He wrote this, if we don't solve the presidential election fraud of 2020, which we have thoroughly and conclusively documented, Republicans will not be voting in 2022 or 2024. It's the single most important thing Republicans can do. I'm telling you, I've been talking about this for months. It's not about changing the election of 2020. It's about the fact that a growing number of people believe that the system is rigged. Molly Hemingway's got a new book out. It's called Rigged. I haven't read it yet. I will. But it's called Rigged. And as I've told you over and over again, the problem of voter confidence is the end of the republic. Meaning if you get voter confidence to such a high level that the citizens don't participate, then things are over. You can't expect the system to work. And so at least the excerpts of Molly Hemingway's book, Rigged, the book is called Rigged. The excerpts that have been out there so far is that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg spent $450 million to left-leaning uh, nonprofits to influence the election. This on the heels of the uh, New York, uh, the Time Magazine report that a, a coalition, a group of a very prominent left-wing Democrat operatives, quote, fortified, end quote, the election by spending money and resources to change the laws and change the rules and, and rig the system. Again, it may not have been illegal. We haven't seen that yet, although it's pretty getting pretty close in some of these places, some of the things that have gone on. But the fact is, I've been talking about it for months and months and months, voter confidence. And what President Trump says in his statement is not a threat. It's a description. And let me say it. I've said it over and over. Let me say it to, to the listeners this way. 
If you have a block of voters, let's call them 100 voters, and 75 of the 100 will always vote. They'll always vote. Let's say they just make them Republicans for now. There's 75, 75 out of the 100 Republicans will always vote. Doesn't matter. It could be Romney, could be McCain, could be Bush, it could be Trump. They'll always vote Republican because some of the positions in the party are such that they just are not going to ever depart from that or whatever, or, or, or just a habit. But 25% in the last election in 2020 and in 2016 and right now, the, the, the group of people that will vote Republican, the 100, about 25% of them are new slash MAGA slash populist slash whatever you want to call them. And those people are looking up and they're saying, this system looks rigged. We were told they would drain the swamp. We were told they would lock her up. We were told that they, we were told that they would, they would hold the people like Brennan and Clapper that lied to Congress and lied to the Senate, hold them accountable. We were told the system would work. It hasn't worked. We were told that the game would not be rigged. It looks rigged. And those 25 out of 100, a portion of them will ultimately vote, right? Because they're disgusted. They're disgusted with Biden and they want to get somebody else in. So let's say let's say out of the 25 that are left, these MAGA populists, whoever, let's say 20 vote anyway. So now we're up to 95 out of the 100 vote, but five don't. That five, if you have five out of the hundred not vote, why? Because they're just so disgusted. They're disgusted with the media. They're disgusted with the politicians. They're disgusted with both parties. They're disgusted with all of it. And they say to themselves, I've had people tell me, I waited in two hours for a vote to vote on election day. They said, why would I bother? Why would I bother? So we have a voter confidence. So when Donald Trump says, if we don't solve the presidential fraud, the problem If we don't get to the bottom of it, then Republicans, a bunch of them won't vote in 2022 and 2024. He's describing what I've been saying. For a long time, I was saying in the run up to 2020 that you were watching the media and the Democrats try to 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 lessen the margins. They were trying to get the certain you don't you won't you don't win an election by getting all the people to not vote for somebody. You get edges, groups, small business owners, or or or, or uh, uh, single uh, women, or uh, college educated, or gun owners. If you get if you cast doubt. That's a good example. If you can make it so people aren't sure, voters aren't sure, Second Amendment voters, that the guy or gal that's running is really on their side, then they don't stay motivated. They do not stay motivated to come to vote because if that's their issue, if they're a Second Amendment voter or pro-life voter or a pro-abortion voter, if they start to doubt that the person is really on their side, then you're lessening the margins. That the pro-choice voters are always going to vote Democrat, but you need to win. You need them to 90% of them to turn out. So you see my point. So what Trump is describing is that the voter confidence problem that we are facing in this country is going to cause turnout problems for Republicans. I have been saying this for 10 months. After the 2016 election, for about a year, it went on for a couple of years, but for certainly for about a year, Hillary Clinton went out and said, Trump's not legitimate. The Russians stole the election. It was hacked. And about 70% of Democrats believe the election of 2016 was stolen. They, they believed that for a long time. And the media helped encourage it and all that. So you had a voter confidence problem then, except in 2018, they came out and voted. They came out and voted and they rolled, they rolled a bunch of people into office from their side. I'm just telling you, it's different. I feel like it's different. I think Trump does too. Trump knows his voters, knows this country. He knows the center right, the conservative, the Republican voters, the people that vote for him better than anybody. 
Obviously, that's true. But he also has a, he has an intuitive feel for how this doesn't it doesn't abide by normal political uh, science. The poli sci metrics, the poli sci rules don't apply at this moment in this history. After all we've gone through, we're at a point where after the Tea Party, after uh, Obama's run, after then Trump and his time in office and the Russia hoax and all these things, we're at, we're 10 years into a mass movement in this country where the masses believe that the game is rigged. And at a certain point, a, a set of, a percentage of them are not going to vote. They're just not going to believe the system works. They're not even going to bother. In fact, some of them are going to say, why would I bother? Because why would I give them one more data point on me? If I show up and I, they're going to ask me how I voted, they're going to see how I voted, they're going to whatever. And so what Trump's statement from a day or two ago about the most important thing Republicans can do They have to figure out a way to give people confidence that the election system is working. They have to go about making clear that the system is reformed. This is not about looking back. It doesn't work to look back anymore. It's too far gone. Getting to the bottom of what they did is important because you need to say, what do they do with the signature? You know, what do they do with the ballot harvesting? What do they do with uh, signature verification? It didn't happen. You have to change those systems based on how the past looked like it failed. That's what you have to do to address the. But it's not going to change the election. It's about giving people confidence in the election going forward. And the number one thing that voters want to know, at least on the right side, the center right or the Trump side is that their vote counts and it's not being offset by cheaters. So you got to take that mindset. And his point is a description. I don't think Donald Trump, maybe, I don't know, we'll see. But if he goes out and says, don't vote, I don't think he'd mean that because he doesn't want to let more of the left in. He doesn't want to see the country destroyed. I don't believe that. But he's describing what he feels amongst the voters. And I can assure you he's right. And I can assure you by saying it out loud, the goal needs to be to cause the Republicans to do more to improve the voter confidence. Because the left already believes it works for them, they're gonna come out, maybe because they think the game's rigged in their favor. But on the Trump side, the Republican side, they better change the dynamic or it's really gonna turn out badly, really badly. I think it was not, it was a description and a warning from President Trump, from Donald Trump, not a threat. And that's what you need to know. All right, we'll take a break, we'll be right back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to catch up with our old friend, Congressman Pete Sessions. Pete Sessions, uh, born and raised in Waco, Texas. And I've been down there. I've told the listeners, Pete, about the time that uh, we went over to the Helen Marie Taylor Museum of Waco History. And of course, we're wandering through there. And I'm thinking, oh, this is amazing. Helen Marie Taylor, her family, the history. And lo and behold, uh, your father, who I always I often forget, he himself had this incredible uh, legal career as a judge and then head of the FBI uh, even before you. So, Congressman Pete Sessions, welcome back to the program. How are you today? You know, Ed, I'm, I'm delighted to be with you. And I will tell you, now's the time more than ever where insight that the kind that you provide by being on the Hill, talking to so many members is really a real asset for your listeners, because it, it kind of is interesting about how we all get our news and we all naturally want to think, oh, oh, that's right or that's wrong. But really, it takes insight. And we're in a time where that is more apparent than ever. 
as we deal with yeah. these three huge issues in Washington. Uh, we're talking again with uh, Congressman Pete Sessions, and he is—he's, uh, I guess, uh, almost almost two decades here in Congress, uh, and uh, served on all kinds of committees, and currently has played a role on financial services, a big committee, but also has been looking at the uh, election issues, how to make elections uh, safe and regular. But I want to ask you about the IRS. Uh, you know, you've been around Congress enough that when Lois Lerner targeted conservative groups, in fact, a couple of them from Texas and your neck of the woods, uh, using the IRS, we all thought that was pretty amazing. And now we get the Department of Justice. Mary Eric Garland uh, writing letters about school boards and parents visiting. I mean, are we to the point where it's almost just a cliche to say that we're, you know, oh, and the Democrats want to put into law using the IRS to monitor who who has 600 bucks or more moving through their accounts. I mean, they're not even hiding it. They're going to weaponize the government against we the people. It is an incredible uh, turn of events as we go from probably an opportunity to know that the American people were free. More people had a job under just Donald Trump. More people were moving. The stock market was really going. Our country was moving. And now to see that we have a federal government where the president and the vice president are allowing 2 million illegal people in this country. Oh, they don't have to wear a mask, but everybody that follows the law has to. Now we're going to the point where people are telling who telling employees that they have to get a shot, uh, even against mm-hmm. advice from CDC. This is an amazing thing. But now they're turning the government against people. And that's what they're trying to do with the IRS. So, in fact, uh, as you know, I appeared at the Rules Committee August the 24th, gave testimony, and all the members of the Rules Committee that are Democrats said, wow, we didn't know that was in the bill. And I said, well, now that you know, what are you going to do about it? Oh, nothing. And in (laughs) fact, it still is around. And that is that they want to weaponize the Internal Revenue Service to require banks to turn over information for any about $600 or above that goes into a bank or credit union account or one that comes out. And it's a huge number, Ed that they think they want to go collect. And now they want to add 5,000 criminal investigators to the IRS. So it all makes sense. Yeah, it is. It is. But as you say, it's it's almost breathtaking, both in the speed, the speed with which, as you say, the economy's screeched to a halt. And all of a sudden, I mean, we were in a pandemic under Donald Trump and in the last year and a half, and we still were sort of fighting our way out. Now we're just sort of stalled. But uh, this use of government, um, I, I'm not good at this. I know for uh, years before you were in Congress, you were in business. I'm not really good at how to answer this. Uh, but what does this inflation number mean? I mean, it sounds ominous. I you know, the last time it really blew up, I guess, was Carter, right? I mean, in terms of the kind of numbers we're seeing. But what's that going to do? How's that going to impact uh, American the American lives day to day? Well, in fact, you're absolutely correct. Inflation is that amount of prices as they rise. And as prices right. rise, oh, by the way, we see it at the uh, gas pump. That was the most obvious sign that immediately happened. But that is because the president does not like energy. He has fallen victim to the AOC uh, caucus of the world. And so what happens is is that that is up some 70 percent. 
Mm-hmm. Gasoline has risen in many places to to a level that is unsustainable for normal people. But what this does is it impacts everything that's trucked, everything that's moved across the country, because the gasoline prices uh, have ex- have extended themselves so, so much. So that means food is more expensive, labor is more expensive. The guy come to fix your air conditioning, more expensive. Everything we do. And then you combine that the federal government, that is Barack Obama-type policies that Joe Biden continues, to allow people to stay at home who work for the government, rather than encouraging them to get to work. And then the government, as you know, extended $300 per week to people. So it is a lot of goods and services chasing fewer people. This is not built in. This is a reality of where we are headed, and it could be stopped. But we have uh, shortages on almost every single major item that gets trucked around the country that comes into our ports. And this is something that the president and the Democratic Party own, inflation that is now baked in for them. They say 5%. It, it, I'm yeah. sure by year end it will get worse. Uh, we're talking with uh, Congressman Pete Sessions again of uh, Waco, Texas, uh, Congressman Sessions. Um, uh, by the way, more important, forget about everybody else. Um, we're trying to get our basement redone so that uh, the old, my my father and mother can come stay with us. You know, you know, as as a father, uh, uh, you know this. And um, the price of two by fours is through the roof. So I, I told my mom and dad, forget it, don't come stay with us. It's too much trouble. I'm I'm just kidding. But anyway, it is, it is crazy. Two by fours, like the guys are telling me, it's like insane how much it's gone up. So um, that's that's part of this. Uh, last quite last line of questions though. This debt ceiling fight. And so somehow I don't really, again, Mitch McConnell or somebody came up with the idea, let's kick it to December. So we're going to do this again in December. Uh, we just keep raising the credit card limit on the government. On the other hand, I guess, what what can you do, right? I mean, where are we headed? If you don't do the debt ceiling, we default? Does that really happen? I mean, what or, or how should they address this? What, what's happening here? Well, it's important, and you ask a good question. It's important that we take seriously that this could happen and it should not. But it's happening pure and simple because of their agenda that spends so much money. So I think Mitch McConnell did the right thing. I think Mitch McConnell helped them out, which is what we wanted, that is causing them more chaos uh, because he's extended the date. It's meant that Republicans were seen the way they should. We have answers to reasonable problems. But the answer is, your agenda to come to spend $5,000 trillion in a spending mm-hmm. package means that we have to go and take out more loans and float, float by the Fed more loans that are there, which devalues our dollar. It undermines right. the ability that we have to make progress. And so I'm, I'm really proud of what, what Mitch McConnell did, and I think it makes not only very good sense – but he, he is playing ball at a time when we need to be seen and are seen as having better ideas rather than yeah, bankrupting yeah. the country from the socialists. Uh, Congressman Pete Sessions, Waco, Texas, uh, you have been uh, around a lot of these battles, right? A lot of these things. Now you're watching these the Democrats 
they call them moderate. I'm not sure they're really moderate, but Cinema and uh, Mansion, two senators. There's some quote unquote moderate Democrats in the House. I'm not sure that they have any real sway. Um, I, I mean, they, and they're still teeing up to spend, I don't know, five trillion, something like that, dollars that they haven't given up yet. Where does it end up, do you think? I mean, are, are they actually fighting amongst themselves in, in, in such a way? Again, you've watched this for, you know, a lot of years that they're, it's, are we going to, are we going to dodge this bullet or where are we, where do you think it's headed? Well, we have to be very acutely aware, Ed, that the dollar amount is half of the equation. The other half of the equation is the, quote, pay-fors. And those are the huge tax increases that loom that then give the president the ability, which he says it's all paid for. Yes, it will be paid for with people's jobs. It will be paid for with our future. So we need to understand that just because we move the dollar amount back does not mean they will move the amount of taxation, mm-hmm. the largest tax increase in the history of the universe, and they want more and more, mm-hmm. and it's an insatiable appetite. So where's it going to end up? Uh, I hope that, that uh, Senator Sinema, Senator Manchin say, not on our watch. And that's mm-hmm. the right thing yeah. to do. And I, I applaud both those senators. I, I think we ought to be nice to them. They need situational yeah. awareness. They need the ability to move. And they're doing that to, to meet the demands. If we can keep this from happening, we will save our democracy. Yeah. All right. Congressman Pete Sessions, I know you're busy on the road uh, back in Texas. Thank you for taking some time. And uh, we will talk again soon. And uh, we'll put up on social media all the places you can go uh, check out uh, his work. He's got a great newsletter that comes out uh, regularly on his email list if you sign up there. So thank you, Congressman. And thank you for what you do. And God bless you. Okay. All right. Congressman Pete Sessions, everybody. Thank you. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Our next guest is Carrie Severino. She's the president of the Judicial Crisis Network. Judicialnetwork.com is the website. And we've had her on a number of times uh, about issues on judges and confirmations. She is the uh, author of the bestseller, Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh Confirmation and the Future of the Court. She played a, a role in that confirmation. Uh, I was going to say behind the scenes, but behind the scenes and also uh, all over the TV talking about that. And she has a vast experience as an attorney and also with the Supreme Court as a clerk. And uh, interesting times right now because Justice Clarence Thomas, who has this unbelievable memoir called My Grandfather's Son, which is any time I could talk about it, I want to. It's just the most Amer- most American, I was going to say the most incredible, most American success story you've ever heard. It's just unbelievable. If anyone had any sense of his life, they would never be critical, no matter what their positions are, because it's just amazing. And his that book, My Grandfather's Son, is now out on audiobook and Kindle. I kind of got a reburst. And uh, Carrie Severino clerked for him. And uh, we welcome her to the show. How are you, Carrie? Great. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. So the book, My Grandfather's Son, this is what I love to see, this the detail. You were clerking for Justice Thomas when the book came out. Now, even when you write a book, you've done this now, and uh, I have too, you write a book, you don't know what it's like to sort of, and I, now I shouldn't say this to a mom, give birth to a book and what the reaction will be. And how, how was, how did, he, how did Justice, Justice Thomas had written other books, but nothing as personal as this, um, nothing as sort of compelling. How, how was it? 
how did he, how, did, how was it received? Oh, it was incredible. I mean, that whole term, we were getting constant influx of people sending copies of the book to get signed. And, you know, he's such a generous man. He would go to these events and he would stay for hours past when it was supposed to end mm. because he didn't want anyone to go away and not have their copy signed. If any, anyone sent him a copy of the book and he was so happy to sign it and send it back to them. It was just amazing. And I, I remember he, it was right when I started when he, he was doing the, the recording for the audiobook because it's, it's really neat because he's actually the one reading the audiobook. But I just remember he wow. hated it. He said it was just a horrible, he, did, he didn't like the process of recording it. But it's such a gift to have his voice reading um, and telling this story that is so personal and such an American dream story. Well, and part of it is that uh, Clarence Thomas, even though he's obviously been a public figure for a long time um, and well, well known, he had been he'd maintained uh, a, a certain um, a certain silence, you know, uh, um, characteristically on the court for a long time. He had very rarely asked questions, but he hadn't done the the, the sort of memoir like this uh, in such a way. And I, it feels like it was kind of a risk uh, because he'd been through such a grinder. On the other hand, maybe there was nothing left to risk because he'd been through such a grinder. Um, when you see the depictions of him knowing him, but then also knowing um, the the memoir and all, how does it, even in your experience where you see weird fake news and you say that's not real, it, it must be almost like, it must be one of the more stunning things to see because he gets so poorly treated. Uh, yeah, you know, I think if people really knew his story, um, it's so inspiring. He's someone who came from, you know, his father abandoned him at a young age. His mother wasn't able to take care of him. They were so poor. Her father, his, her father, his grandfather ended up raising him and his brother, and just the um, the amazing amount of self-reliance and the lessons that he learned from his grandfather's wife called my grandfather's son, um, really just sing through the, this entire book. And then you see the drama of his life. I mean, I think people don't realize he's someone who was an, a, a legit black power radical in his uh, college right. years. I mean, he has been across right. the spectrum. He's been in, he was in seminary for a while. He wanted to become a priest. He left the seminary after experiencing real racism there, which was so discouraging to him and really made him lose his faith for a while. And then you see this story of him coming back um, away from the anger and the hatred that had that had then kind of consumed him in in his young years, and returning to what I think he would say are the the conservative ideals that his grandfather taught him, um, both in terms of his faith, but also in terms of these uh, conservative principles that he is obviously incredibly well known for espousing and leading on the court today. We're talking again with uh, Carrie Severino. She, again, is the president of the uh, Judicial Crisis Network, uh, judicialnetwork.com, to see her stuff. Um, the book, uh, Justice Thomas's book, is called My Grandfather's Son. It's out on audiobook. It's read by him, which is awesome, and Kindle. Um, did you uh, did you see the mem uh, the documentary about him that, that included him um, interview um, speaking so um, at such length, uh, Created Equal, it was called? Did you see that by chance? Oh, yeah, I, I saw that several times. That was really outstanding. And you and you get some of the same perspective of really hearing his first person telling of this story that so many people don't even realize because he's not out there, you know, broadcasting it every day. He's not doing the circuit um, is such a such a gift. And that was a great video. Yeah. It, it it is amazing. And I hope I think there was other uh, um, even more um, uh 
um, of the interview that what didn't include it, you know, for hours and hours, like 20 hours or something that did. Um, what do you think, what would you say is the one thing you hope that history will say about Clarence Thomas? Because you, you just described he has this incredible life arc. He has this incredible career on the court. You know, people forget, was he like 42 when he went on the court? So he's, he's going to have been on the court as, I don't know what the tenure record is, but he'll have been on for a very, very long time in a very formative time. Um, and, uh, what do you th- what, what's the one thing you think history or what, what would you like history to uh, remember for him? You know, I think it's, uh, what's exciting is history's already started to come around to the fact that he shouldn't be seen just as, you know, someone who uh, checked a box of like, hey, here's the black justice or or something like that. And he and initially he was misconceived as, oh, he's someone who's just sort of following Justice Scalia. I think we know now that that's not the case. And I, I hope that history yeah. <laughs> recognizes him as a real leader. And, and I think the, the heavyweight on the conservative bench right now, it, it really the, the um, you know, if you look at his career, he's had so many opinions that have gone from being a one vote minority or maybe one or two justices joining him to now a majority of the court. And so I think he will be seen as a thought leader and um, a real uh, force for returning the court to an originalist understanding of the Constitution. Again, it's uh, Carrie Severino. Uh, she's a former Justice Thomas Supreme Court. The book is My Grandfather's Son, av- available uh, everywhere books are sold. Carrie, is anybody, I'm sure they've done this, but I'm going to do it. Why aren't you a judge? You should be a judge soon. Did you ever think about that? You must have, you must have thought about it. Did, did, would you ever do that? Oh, that, that would be that would be great. I think I've probably said and done too much to upset uh, quite a few <laughs> of the senators to ever get through that process. Talk, talk to Senator Whitehouse about that, me being that, a judge. We'll see what he says. Oh, uh, okay. That's a good point. I went uh, years ago when I was practicing law in St. Louis. Uh, Jim Talon, Senator Talon, said to me, Ed, you know, you'd be a great judge. He said, but you have said far too many things that would make senators mad. I guess that's probably why. But I will say, and I, I should say it then, you did a lot of um, your advocacy on behalf of good men and women for the bench during the Trump years was something extraordinary. And I know that probably that trade off was what you had to do because you had to be the public face in so many ways. And I think a lot of us that know how incredible of the historical things that history will write about for tr- the Trump four year term, the number of judges, quality people, really smart people that got to the bench in part because you were helping is is unbelievable. So thank you for that and congratulations for it. Thanks so much. Yes, it's it's exciting now to see those judges really um, coming into their own and doing the job they're put there to do, which is making sure that even when you have an administration that's trying to push the envelope and stretch what the Constitution allows them to do, that 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 is not uh, what the courts are going to let them do. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Carrie Severino. Again, we'll put up on social media and promote uh, Clarence Thomas's book, My Grandfather's Son. It's extraordinary and he's amazing. So uh, thanks for taking the time again to be with us and uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks. Good talking to you. Okay. We'll take a break, everybody, and come back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by opposing radical feminism and representing a traditional conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Nothing quite conjures up feelings of elitism like mentioning Wall Street. You can hardly do it in polite company. Yet while there are plenty of shady dealings on Wall Street that are quite worthy of our repulsion, Americans should be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to making investments in the market. People invest in the economy using their money, otherwise known as capital. 
That's where we get the term capitalism from. The idea is that you get out of the market according to your willingness to put into it. According to the socialist view of capital, citizens should not be allowed to profit off of the money they invest. After all, that would not be fair to the people who don't have money. However, this oversimplified socialist view of the economy suffers from a number of fatal problems. To start with, investment is good for businesses. Capital is the savings of people invested in equipment, land, buildings, and materials designed to increase the productivity of a business. Businesses use the infusion of capital to hire more workers and increase their wages. When socialists want to punish the people who invest in business, they're really punishing the workers and the business far more than they are punishing the investor. However, we should not ignore the injury done to the common investor when socialist policies are forced upon the market. Not everyone who invests in business is a wealthy fat cat with a Scrooge McDuck-style Olympic pool filled with money. A total of 55% of Americans have some sort of investment in the stock market, whether it be through individual stocks or through a 401k or IRA. These investment accounts give average Americans hope for a brighter future for themselves and their families if they're willing to make sacrifices today. This kind of forward thinking is precisely what capitalism encourages. On the other hand, socialism leads people to only care about how much they can get for themselves in the moment right now. Wall Street is not just a place for the wealthy. Any American can invest for a better tomorrow. Don't listen when the socialists say otherwise. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The false promise of socialism is an illusion. It devalues hard work and creativity. It's the opposite of the American dream. As proven around the world, socialism breaks the human spirit. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're standing against the rise of socialism. For more, go to phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report, and uh, thank you for tuning in. This is a great, some great interviews. Uh, Congressman Pete Sessions and Kerry Severino, good stuff. You can always visit ProAmericaReport.com and listen in uh, again to any of those uh, uh, any of those um, interviews. Sign up for the daily email, all that stuff. All right, let's finish up. I want to warn you that just because the coverage of the failing and flailing Biden administration has been a little bit more forthright, We've seen coverage about like Hunter Biden written about that his conflict of interest is a problem. That's that's been written up in the press now. We've seen coverage of the the disaster in Afghanistan a little more. There's been a necessity. They've had to cover the inflation and things like that. So we're seeing a little bit more of of what I would say is the flailing and failing of the Biden and the Democrats. But but here's the big but. You got to watch for the big but. The big but is this. They still got all can take control of the House and Senate and they still have the presidency. And next week, Chuck Schumer just announced that next week they're going to vote on one of these voting rights bills. And, and it's not voting rights. It's federalizing elections to continue the mess. If you listen to the wink at the beginning of the show and how the number one issue is that I, a lot of Republicans don't believe the system is working. And if, as Donald Trump says, if they don't fix it, if they don't change that equation. A lot of folks aren't going to vote. It doesn't have to be 25 percent that don't vote. It just has to be a little bit. But uh, right now, 
Chuck Schumer announced he's going to next week. They're going to take up another voting, federalize the voting. I think it's the big one. I think he I think one of the really fun things about Chuck Schumer is he's up for reelection in 2022. And so he has to do enough things to satisfy the far left so he doesn't get a primary from AOC, because even if he raised twenty five million dollars and he probably has, he could probably raise 50 million. He's not going to be able to hold off a primary from his left in New York state in New York in the, in the state of New York because of the left-wing voters. So you'll see him doing these things. So this announcement that there's going to be a vote on this massive effort to take over the election, federalize the elections, mandatory early voting, mandatory uh, uh, um, uh, drop boxes, you know, mandatory mail-in with no, with no signature verification, banning photo ID. All this is in there. He, they've decided they're going to vote on that next week. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, tomorrow on the show, we're going to talk with uh, a gentleman. He's the head of the National Taxpayers Union. And one of the things about NTU is you read their site, you'll see all the details of these massive bills. The $3.5 trillion boondoggle that the Democrats are considering, it's really more like $5 trillion, but it's really a lot more like X trillion. We don't even know because there's all sorts of things in there that we can't tell. But when they say soon that they're not going to pass it, they're going to pass something else. And that something else is still going to be a trillion, two trillion, whatever it is, with lots of changes to the laws that are almost impossible to calculate in terms of the cost to taxpayers, to our system, everything else. So my point here is, if you're listening to the flailing and failing and you're saying, boy, they're making a mess of it, don't be too confident. Here's another example. I went to visit a friend of mine. He's a very sophisticated, smart guy, and he's a uh, lawyer. And a lot of his friends are in uh, in the legal in the in the in the legal system in the in the practice of law. They're in the regulatory side, and they said it's systematic, day by day. The Biden administration, by executive order and executive action, is rolling back. All of the regulations that Trump put in that were Trump's regulations were cutting red tape, ending uh, boondoggles, changing the equation so more things would happen. And they're quite literally going one after another, rolling them back. And this friend of mine said, if you were to write the history of the uh, Biden administration, of the Trump administration, one of the things that you would highlight as an extraordinary achievement is that the uh, amazing Trump administration's regulatory uh, reductions and cuts and all. He, he said that it, it goes far beyond the stuff that people see in terms of the, the prominent stuff. It's just amazing. So he uh, and he said, and it's being rolled back. And again, my point here is be careful as you celebrate the news that comes out, say, tomorrow or over the weekend, that they're not going to pass the $3.5 trillion boondoggle. They're still going to pass something. And what's in there is going to have stuff that is uh, making our country unrecognizable, changing welfare to work so that there's no work requirement, changing uh, tax credits that were supposed to be tax credits. That means you get a credit for taxes to just straight payments. They still call them ch- child tax credits. They're just straight payments. These changes are dramatic and they're happening all around us. Now, uh, hopefully, hopefully they're fighting amongst themselves in such a way that some of these things, uh, at least in terms of Congress, won't pass. But I'm not sure we know. I'm not sure we know, and uh, on it goes. All right. Well, let's. um, I want to wrap things up, and uh, we got a great show tomorrow. We'll have one more before the weekend, so I have a chance to have have a great weekend. Uh, Thank you, as always, to our great uh, producer, 
Noah Dingley, the star of Noah Says. He's demanding more time and uh, doubling of his contract. We'll see about that. And thank you to Joanna for booking uh, our great guests and all these great guests we have. So please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com to get up on all the uh, interviews and the segments. And also you can sign up for the daily email, What You Need to Know, the Daily Wink. Sign up there. Give me your email address. I promise I don't sell it, rent it, do anything. I just send you an email five days a week. Gives you what you need to know. You want to check it out. So we'll take a break. No, we'll take a break. We'll take a break overnight. We'll take a break. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you tomorrow. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.